Next up is our game chat with Paul Conway, one of the founders and the CEO of Spooky Doorway, makers of the Dark Side Detective series, and Eldritch House, a new title in development. The Dark Side Detective has become a bit of a phenomenon over the last couple of years, reminding us of the beauty of bitmap-style visuals, introducing us to the community of Twin Lakes and the iconic team of Detective McQueen and Officer Dooley, solving supernatural mysteries and making peace with the paranormal. This episode was recorded on March 25th, 2021. Welcome to the Game Chat series on Design Talk. I'm Alan. And I'm Joy. Our guest today is Paul Conway from Spooky Dory. Spooky Dory is a team of Irish developers with a unique style. Their Dark Side Detective series is a point-and-click puzzle with an awkward comedic feel. Paul, could tell us a little about yourself and your path to game design? And how did you know you wanted to go into this industry? And what are the most challenging, rewarding parts of your job? So, hello, yes, I'm Paul Conway. I work as the CEO and lead artist with Spooky Doorway, and I take a hand in some of the design work. The first time I realized I wanted to work in games is when I was a teenager in the 90s. I remember playing an old Zelda game on the Super Nintendo and just getting stuck in this room, trying to get a book off a shelf. It was, was a challenge, um, but I was too young to figure it out. But while I was stuck in that screen, I kind of noticed the graphics. I was actually sitting there looking at the still scene and started realizing there was these little squares that drew the image. And then something clicked in my head that somebody did that. It wasn't just a magic word of graphics. It was a person was putting these art together and putting it in the game. So at that point, I realized that's what I want to do. I want to make games. I want to do the art for games and I want to design the stories and the adventures of games. After school, went to college, uh, done uh, computer animation. There wasn't a lot of game development courses in Ireland at the time. That's the very early 2000s. Came out of that with a decent bit of education about 3D graphics and, and sort of animation and stuff like that. But there wasn't exactly any uh, many game development jobs in Ireland because it, uh, much like it is now still, there, it, it's a very, still a very small industry, but back then it was minuscule. I was a 3D guy and I wanted to make games and there was no 3D studios. And then eventually one day I saw the studio was, was advertising that they wanted a pixel artist for mobile games, for old Java phone games. Overnight, I very quickly put together this pixel art to, uh, portfolio that I, I learned to do pixel art and put together a lot of images and sent in my portfolio and applied for the job. To this day, I don't know whether it was because there wasn't many people applying or I was just that good, but they, they decided that they interview me and they took me on for the role. So from there, I went on to freelance for many years as well. And I worked on a ton of games for a lot of people. And I, my, my credit list is like about 120 games or something like that. Like just, like they're all very small mobile games, but I learned an awful lot like working on other people's projects. Then around 2015, we, I was doing a game jam here in Galway. Myself and uh, Chris, who was working at the time, put together this very small demo for a point-and-click adventure which we called the dark side at the time just because i was so used to doing graphics i kind of put together something very visually very strong very very quickly and on the day when we put screenshots online about our demo online after the game jam it was quite popular people seemed to like it people downloaded it people liked some of the themes we were doing and the short length of the game so that was the decision it's like right we have something here and from there we started building out a game which eventually became a company Fortunately, the game done well when we launched it, and it's still been able to support Spooky Doorway since. So that's kind of my meandering path to kind of where I am now. Um, so what are the most challenging, rewarding parts of the job? Well, the most rewarding part is, is while we're, we're dealing with like kind of, you know, it's art, it's design, it's technology, 
Um, I like to look at us as entertainers. We get to make entertainment and experiences and, and unique interactive moments for people that other industries don't uh, or other media don't provide. So when you put something out there and you see somebody laughing at your work or or getting excited solving a puzzle or, or even just comments, people come back to saying how much they've enjoyed this unique experience and stuff they've discovered. That's it. Like to kind of the analogy I put it uh, in myself, it's like if you write a story and nobody reads it, that doesn't exist. So I like, I like getting work out there and I like getting the feedback of people playing the experience and, and you know, enjoying it or not enjoying it and giving us feedback that way as well. The most challenging part is because we're a small studio, we have to, we have to wear a lot of hats uh, uh, on the team. Well, I do mostly art and I do some design. Um, I have to take on the business development and PR roles in the studio. So that's a lot of work. Uh, I take on other things as well. Um, you know, at the moment I'm doing all voice casting for a game and stuff like that. Like, so, you know, there isn't, we don't have a large department of just voiceover or business. It takes all these roles. So I, the most challenging part is having to do everything else related to the business of running games as well as making the game. Okay, so I played your game, The Dark Side Detective. Uh, I think it's a very, very interesting game. It's very funny, challenging, and atmospheric. How challenging is it to construct the player experience, in particular to create surprise, to feeling of suspense, even honor in a game? So Dark Side was a good game for us to start with because technically compared to other games, it, it's, it's fairly simple. So the... the the amount of technology required to build it was was lower than other, other games. So it was a very good game for us to start out as a studio. Despite all our experience working on other games, it kept this, the scope of the project relatively small. It's a funny game, which is what it sells on. It's a, it's a comedy game. It has all these themes of horror and you know, mystery and uh, crime and all that. But ultimately, it's a funny game about friendship and sort of wholesome experiences. It's about like two friends who really like each other and want to hang out together and to help other people. So it's kind of balance those things is very tough but I, it helps uh, number one is if you have a good writer which we do we have a a writer uh, dave mccabe um he came onto the project about only like about a month into his start of development and our process went from terrible chicken scrawled notes to really well written scripts and uh he really helped sort of find those characters and, and uh to find like those themes that we were kind of creating up at the start, he really fleshed them out, and and also just you know just making the characters be funny, like like you know, and he was very good at making sort of uh, the normal seem bizarre and the bizarre seem normal, which is kind of one of those sort of weird sort of switches we do in, in Dark Side. In terms of the player experience, like it's it's a puzzle game. It's a, it's a it, the game is broken up into these different investigations you take part in. At the start of each investigation, you're presented with a scenario and you've got to go through it and unravel the knot of the story and then figure out the puzzles. Dark Side is designed to be playable and enjoyable in short bursts of play. So we've done our best to smooth off all the annoying issues that a lot of uh, adventure games have. Like, So we took out walking. So each screen is your character sort of stare and you can just click around. So this kind of makes it a lot smoother. And the the actual puzzles themselves, we, we didn't use what's called moon logic of you know, finding a ridiculous item to do a ridiculous thing, which makes no sense. We kind of made all of those things kind of seem fairly logical so the player always had a sense of progression and we wanted like when you sat down and play it at the very least within a half an hour to an hour you achieved something you got to the end of that case and you achieved it all the levels of complexity were in the world itself like so it was it was fun to figure out things but it was also fun to click around everywhere and talk to every character we always wanted you to have a sense of progression but the game isn't designed to be challenging it's designed to more or less be comforting it's not going to challenge you but you're going to enjoy being in that world while you're there 
So the graphic style of Dark Side Detective uh, is distinctive, with each character imbued with character storytelling uh, slowly expands the world. Filling out the character story arcs with each new case. The music is subtle, sees signs and creates atmosphere. The puzzles are brought the player to increasing challenges with so many different aspects to deliver. And you said you are a small studio. And I think the most difficult thing in Dark Side is the story in writing. So, and how do you get everyone working together? The artist, the designer, the level designer, the narrative, and put them into a group to work together to cooperate how does it all come together i think as a leader it's very it's not a simple thing so yeah there's a there's quite a lot in dark side and for such a small game there's a dense amount of content for example like the first game has i think 60,000 words in it and the other big game that kind of came out that year had about 30,000 words in it like we had doubled the amount of content in our game for such a small team but but that's because we found clever ways to kind of make the content easier to make like our art styles is more simplified and our, our level design because we were breaking into these different cases rather than one larger story it was easier to compartmentalize uh, i could be working on one thing while someone else is working on your case so we were constantly i was pushing all of the content together at once rather than one larger longer experience which you you'll always have to test from start to end at the start we were very much bumping into each other we all wanted to be a designer we all wanted to to write good dialogue to make the decisions on, on what was going to happen and while we are still fairly democratic in everything we do eventually we did learn to sort of sit back and let each other fit into the roles so a, a dark side case would start out that like we like a location we'd figure out that we'd want a, a location to be in a mall or uh, be in the police station or in the graveyard or something like that. that's kind of like where we'd, we'd all come together first and kind of like knock our heads together like what sort of things do we like what are depth of visuals you want to get in there what's what's a good iconic piece of americana that kind of fits into that the mold of this of the setting and you know the themes that dark side usually holds once we figure out like that that's what we want to do this is roughly kind of what the mystery is it's it's about somebody going missing or it's about people acting strange or whatever our writer would go off and he'd outline with trust as well or developer they, they would they'd outline a map of the of the scenario like all the different locations in it and generally sort of find a path through it which you know where certain sections are gated correctly you know i have to go this collect this item which is going to unlock the door which is going to allow me to get to the next part etc once they would do that and they would draw these um, terrible stickman versions of the world, we'd stick it all into our game engine, wire it up, and then we'd have this playable version of the of the game that anybody outside of our team would be looking at going, what the hell is that? It's just a version of it where we can go through and figure out, is this is this taking too long to get through? Or is this interesting? Or is this puzzle just a bit too out there that nobody's going to get it? And, and a big one as well is like we, we try to figure out when it gets tedious. So Darkside, I said, was, was about wanting to streamline adventure games and smooth out the whole process of being able to play a game without too many obstacles. So we, one of those obstacles is if you have to click too many times to get through the level or whatever. So we, we really work hard at that stage, this uh, horrible doodle drawing version of the game. And once we kind of figure out that layout and uh, you know change it as needed, then our writer will go off and write, and I will take those terrible scenes and go off and, and draw them and animate them as needed. And uh, our developer would then make the you know the mini game interactions and all those pieces would come together because they're kind of three different stools like I'm able to work on the art separately from somebody working actually in the engine and all the writing is done although it's all been wired up it's been done through like a database essentially so we're at that point like yeah we're all able to go off work on our different pieces and come back together so that's basically it. Like it's it's come together to start, figure out what has to be done, get to a point where we can all agree this is definitely what we want to do and then step away and all do our parts and then at the end come back together. 
once it's all working and the music's in there and all the jokes in there, that's that's when testers come in and just figure out if they're enjoying it or not. And we figure out is there things we can change as well. The game itself, the atmospherics are really tied beautifully with the music. You haven't mentioned the music. That happens at the end, I suppose, in your particular development process. Yeah, it, we, we got very lucky that we worked with um, a composer called Ben Prunty. He worked on a really well-known game called FTL, a sci-fi game where you're kind of organizing your spaceship. Like It was a really big success, and he's, he, even for him now, he's still a very successful soundtrack for him. He sells regularly, and people stream all the time. But when we were making the first the first Dark Detective, uh, I was just very confident about the game. I just you know, People are really liking this, and who do I want to do this, the music for? And I just pulled the, the name on my head, like the, the best indie composer right now is Ben Prunty. So I was going to shoot this guy an email, see if he wants to work on it. You know, I had nothing to lose other than an email come back saying, no thanks, you're all right, mate. But like to much of my surprise, he was like, oh man, this looks awesome. I really definitely want to work on this. <laughs> the thing that worked out for us was that he, he, everybody was coming to him for sci-fi soundtracks. And we were the only people coming to him at the time with a, with a soundtrack, which is for something completely different, which was, you know, a, a comedy horror game. So he was like, you know, I'm fed up of being the space guy. I wanted to be the, the horror guy for this, this project. And very quickly, he uh, he nailed this very synthy sound. Like, I'd sent him a lot of references of John Carpenter soundtracks, uh, particularly the Prince of Darkness soundtrack. It's one of his stronger soundtracks, in my opinion. I was like, I kind of want to sound like this, but, you know, it has to be this kind of seriousness as well. It has to take itself. The music has to take itself very serious and be very heavily synthy to kind of lean into that kind of 90s and 80s kind of feel that the game has. And he came back, just immediately nailed it. So very early, we had a good piece of music for like our menus and our first case, which is like kind of an extension of that original Game Jam demo. And then from there that on, we would we would make the scenario of, you know, so this one's going to be in a swamp or this one's going to be in a, a subway. And we got a few screens together for that and then send it on to Ben. And Ben had a very interesting way of working. Now, he, he always nailed it in the first or second attempts on it. Like, it was never much debate. Like, he was he's just so good, he always got it. But, like, so, for example, like, we'd send him screenshots of, of the subway case and he'd be able to see that's in the subway and kind of get the, you know, the visual atmosphere of it. But then you go thinking about, like, what instruments to use, what types of sounds to use. So there'd be more, like, pings and pangs and that sounds so, like sorry because he's thinking of like sound bouncing off tiles and metal or in the swamp case we have there's like uh, it's in the woods and you know, there's loads of greenery around you so the sounds are a lot more like hollowed and uh, softened so he'd, he'd always write the sound to fit the environment there's a point in every dark side case where you kind of arrive for one mystery you kind of get halfway through the story then the more bizarre aspects of the story come out and the music changes at that point and Ben was very good at sort of taking that original piece of music that was already kind of spooky and had an atmosphere and then really enhancing it into being a lot more bombastic and feeling so out there. Our music generally comes in as uh, about midway through the project, I think. I, I'm a big believer in getting audio into a game as early as possible. It's one of those things that people tend to leave towards the end and it's it's one of our senses and it's one of the ways we experience games. So I always try to get sound effects in very quickly and try and get some music in very quickly. So Dark Side, we try to knock it too far into a case. Like, so about halfway through the development of a case, we'll get music in and sound effects in and and then, you know, that starts feeling a much richer experience there. And there's also that room to, you know, at, at that point to, to pivot either something in the game content or something in the music content to kind of to fit the rest of the scenario. It sounds, it's a, the game design is very complicated process, especially you need, uh, as a leader, you need to put everybody in a right position, do a right job. So let's, uh, let's talk about some business. Because English isn't my first language, 
and the Dark Side Detective is a story-driving suspense game. So, so I played this game in Chinese, and I was pleased to discover the game is very popular in China and has a lot of Chinese players. And、uh, what surprised me most is the translation into Chinese is very, very suitable, even though、um, it's in a different context. The localization to Chinese transforms some English memes to Chinese memes. It's really amazing, you know. So to expand the market,、uh, I think it's very、um, beneficial and helpful, and the the necessary to translate the story in different languages to expand the the market. How to find a good translator, or how did you go about attracting players in this in this other markets around the world? Localizing Darkside is a challenge to begin with because it's it's a game about it's a very text heavy game, so there's a lot of content to be localized. But also, jokes don't necessarily translate to every language. Like a lot of the jokes that Dave writes are, are puns, which are, are wordplay jokes, and they don't necessarily translate to French, German, Chinese because it's not language is not one to one, and even if it was, culture is not one to one. What we do when we are localizing is that we we try to work as closely with our The people localizing, and if they come up with a challenge, Dave will write an alternative joke. That's it's either a bit more broad, that's gonna it's so it may lose some of the very specific nuance from the English version, but it's still going to be that moment, still going to be a rewarding bit of text to read. But yeah, we try to find you know the joke. If it doesn't work in French, we'll find a different joke, and we'll talk to the, to the localizers or, or friends we have who are, are native speakers of those languages. For Chinese, similar story, but there was we have a lot more culturally in common with the French, German, and Spanish than we do with the Chinese. So there's a lot of trust put in the in our localizers. So we would have that, that discussion, and if a joke just isn't working, we dump it and pull in something. More suitable, but if I was referencing a, a Chinese meme or something like that, like we'd have to go into the experience of working with them on the rest of the content and just trust them at that point. It's important to localize your content. We're still experimenting with it ourselves, like we did as we did. Translate the first game into French, German, Spanish, and Chinese. It's really hard to know in in Europe, at least, whether the cost of putting that, that time in really comes back. Because lots of people in Europe. Speak in English, but in in China, yeah, definitely boosted our sales there. I think it's about ten or fifteen percent of our sales of the first game are off in China, which that you know that does not seem like a lot, but that's you know that's enough to actually do the investment of of localizing the Chinese. We're hoping the second game, which isn't launching in Chinese, but it will be eventually localizing the Chinese. We're hoping it'll do well over there. We're already in talks with somebody about launching it over there in China, but it's it's a much bigger task to localize the Chinese. All the signs, every bit of text in the game, every bit in the background has to be changed to have Chinese. Characters, I think it's necessary to experiment with that, but I do think you need to be talking to people who are are from there and、uh, from wherever you're ever localizing to, and trust them, and also work with them if they're saying a joke's not working or some content isn't working. You have to find a way to to make the content work. Talking about the business, so so talking about the past,、uh, current, and、uh, future project. Um, how do you pitch to publishers, or there are any difficulties in the pitch? Pitching is a bit of a dark art. We we kind of have to first of all figure out if a game is going to, you know, have any attention on it at all. Since I'm a、uh, like an artist. Uh, I tend to kind of experiment a lot with, with different visual styles, and I try things out on social media、uh, a lot and see if like something's enough to kind of grab a bit of attention. If people are scrolling through a sea of images on Twitter and they tend to stop and like my image, that means that there is something within that visual style that can definitely attract an audience and thusly a publisher. Ourselves, like we want to make games which we want to play. Dark Side was was essentially our 
our version of an adventure game, which was it took out all the things which makes us stop playing adventure games, which is all the the, the pointless time wasting. And our next game at the moment we're working on, uh, Alger Chouse, is trying to make a detective game where you feel like Sherlock Holmes instead of Doctor Watson. We want you to make those leaps of logic rather than have the game mechanics present them to you and you just press A and you solve it. And it's also pulling it together a lot of our uh, a lot of interests are, or because I kind of came up with the seed of this idea, it's kind of pulling a lot together my interests, which is like old horror movies, comic books, and detective stories so to pitch the publishers number one you've got to show interest in your game so no matter how good my, my documentation is i need to show that i've captured some interest in it so we try to get our steam page up as early as possible and try to capture people wish listing the game that's better than people following you on facebook or twitter or anything like that that just shows that people are invested that they want to get an update specifically about your game we also put together a pitch document or preview document which pitch document essentially is it explains the game its mechanics its story location and can go as far into talking budget and development timelines where a preview document is essentially the pitch document with all with all the business stuff stripped out of it so we try to put all our ideas together in a good document like that you've got a sort of stripped down version of the pitch which would be just this kind of vision yeah this is what i call a, a preview document so it's essentially it's a pitch document, but it doesn't have any of those sort of business commitments or like that. Just something I can sh- I can show out now to, kind of, to show you the game, but it's not showing you my development timeline or like that because that's still in flux. Uh, and I'm not particularly, this is something that if a publisher asks me to send, wants to find out about the game now, I'll send them rather than me going to them saying, I want you to fund this game now. So our version of this document will exist in the next two months, which is going to have a lot of financial information and uh, schedule information and, and go into deep information on who the team members are and all. So it's, that document will try to convince somebody that we are a development team that know what we're doing and here's us and here's our experience. And, you know, if you invest in us, it's, it's definitely not a waste of money. We can deliver. This one here is just a taster of the game. So I'm a big believer in visual-led design and visual-led presentations of what you're trying to do. It doesn't work for every game. Some games are so dense that they that it's more about the mechanics, but that's not the level of detail we get into with the games we make. So as you can see, the game's called El Chouse. You can kind of see that it has like this sort of very striking comic book style, very much inspired by the works of Mike Mignola, who's the guy done Hellboy. Just trying to capture mood of the setting. So a bit of flavor text at the start. So this is something from Bram Stoker. So you know, trying to, you know, I want you to believe, to believe in things that you cannot. So it's, I'm really trying to push this sort of spooky mystery in there. Also, Bram Stoker is Irish, and this is a game set in Ireland, and it's based on Irish mythologies as well. So really want to capture that Irish feel. Jump ahead, give you some more art. So I'm trying to really sort of show you that this game is big and beautiful, and it's nice in a big full screen way like this, so you can kind of nearly imagine what it's like to be in that environment. Now, here's a bit of summary information this is the stuff that the publishers interest straight away i'm telling you that it's a game that's it's going to come on pc and consoles telling you it's genre camera mode business model as well so it's a game that's going to be sold right free to play engine which is unity which will let a publisher know kind of roughly you know how quick and or how easy and or difficult certain things going to be game length which is one going to catch early because that helps Publishers are envision a price point for your game and how they're going to position against other titles. Good to get your credits in there, so show certain roles that are on it. And then a brief description. So Hellboy meets Agatha Christie. That's my my elevator pitch. That's my little sentence that I throw out there that, that kind of immediately captures people. Like even when I'm talking about it on Twitter or anywhere, like I always throw a little sentence in there. That throws a few ideas together at once. Hellboy, which says comics and it says, you know, spooky monsters and fire with supernatural stuff. And Agatha Christie, which kind of gives you a setting of detective and characters that you have to kind of find who's 
you know who's behind the mystery and or who's the murderer or whatever so it's always good to have an elevator pitch you need to be able to condense your idea down to something that can fit in a few a few small words if you happen to get in the elevator with the guy you want to talk to you want to be able to sort of explain your idea of the game before it gets to the top before he gets out of the elevator so i meet the publisher i want to talk to joe you know, how about i meet second christie he's immediately sort of getting ideas in his head try and find a way to condense your your game's idea into a sentence after that in the stock just you know quick explanation of the visual style setup then we just talk about the player experience summary is like you know you take control of a detective you have to you go to a place sort of trying to remain incognito then you got to interview people and question people and find all the clues but also it shows you these other supernatural events are starting to happen around the hotel and you know it starts unraveling this deeper kind of more bizarre mystery again show some more art up there i want you to feel like you're in that space then we go and we explain the story do it over two slides so I just give you enough about the story so to, just to go back over here just to quick show you I've showed you summary of the game at a high level in terms of like a business way and sort of a quick sort of beat to kind of explain the themes I'm going to explain the player experience so this is how the player is going to experience it and now I'm giving you some story I'm not giving you too much and this isn't an essay it's only like five or six paragraphs then you move on more art gameplay break down a few mechanics in a nice clear way these could probably be tidier, but it's, there's not too much text here. It's enough for you. Like, if you're interested and you got this far, you will read it. Draw some more art, and that's the end of the preview document. So in this small slideshow, I've captured quite a few things, but I've also really sort of thrown visual style into the, of the game up there. So it's very believable that this is a game. You know, if you saw this in a magazine, nearly all this information, this is something that you, you would consider buying. This sort of level of document here is very important. I, I don't think you can kind of go with a, with a lower quality version of this. Obviously, the graphics change and the games you're working on. I might have one here for Dark Side Detective. Hang on a second. And while you're looking for that, Paul, we're talking about publisher financing to support the development project for a period of time. Obviously, you, you co-fund necessarily. You're putting your own sweat labor into it too. Yeah. But you could also use this for a Kickstarter-driven funding model, couldn't you? Yeah. Well, Kickstarter has its own format that you need to fit into it. But essentially, this is the information you're capturing. It just happens to be laid out differently. Kickstarter users are kind of used to seeing as well a bit more business information as like full team who's working on it. Idea of how, at least how the funds are going to be broken down. So this is one for Dark Side Detective uh, Season 2, as it was known. So again, big image, bit of flavor text explaining the game. Artwork, trying to get you sort of what it feels like to be in the game. Same sort of breakdown of brief scenario, how long the game's going to be, platforms, player experience again, so how you play it, more art, narrative again, so you're in here, you're able to find out the story, why you're there. Then, because this is an existing IP, we're able to sort of prone some extra information here, so awards the game has won, and different praise it got as well. Break down our team, who's on it, and that's it. So essentially, it's the same doc as the last one, but just a little bit more detail. But it's a good format to break it down into summary, player experience overview, story, and then mechanics. Thanks for sharing that. Well, really, really interesting to see that distilled kind of version and multiple versions from the sentence pitch through to the a little bit more and then a little bit more. So you've got this coming through really clearly. It's good, very, very adaptable, actually, for anyone. Yeah, I, I do think that you need to put a lot... A thought into being able to explain your game because some of the best ideas you have if they're just loaded loads of great ideas in your head and you can't put it into a precise point it's, it's very hard to kind of get anybody's attention users or financiers or that. so you need to put time into making a, a focused way to describe your game and the elevator pitch is a great way to start how tied in do you feel to the console development life cycle of the big platform players do you attend conferences do you do they brief you? You're a member of their development programs? 
we might go to the odds uh, at conferences like TDC. You might go to the odd talk about it and sort of follow it that way. And I'm generally always sort of keeping an eye on you know new initiatives like Games Pass or anything like that that's coming up. That's kind of I think is the is the future model for games is is going to be like that Netflix model of platform holders like Xbox or PlayStation. You pay them a, a fixed fee a month and they'll give you games for free and they're paying developers in the background. So I think you always got to keep an eye on that. Like we are tied into you know we're official developers to those consoles so we do kind of get you know emails and stuff like that but we don't we're not part of like some sort of uh you know secret cabal of information like generally you know what you what's out there in the public is kind of what we're finding out about i appreciate you you stating before that regardless of your tool chain you're not actually intending to sort of push the technologies you're working in a constrained technological footprint so to speak and getting the most out of that as possible we're a small developer so we have to um I suppose you have to hedge your bets a bit. You got to spread the risk. So if we were making a VR game or a, ver- or a very specific motion control game, that really limits the amount of publishers that would be interested in you or the amount of users that will actually buy your game, which is most important. And in terms of uh, new titles or each title, I suppose each title does deserve its own website and own registration and own uh, trademark and, and, and IPR protection, I suppose. Yeah, Irish law kind of protects a lot of your IP just by default anyway. But yeah, we what we try to do when we go online is we try to capture the the social media presences for all those those IPs. One of the main reasons is you don't want somebody else taking it and saying they're you online, causing noise on what you're broadcasting. One mistake we made when we started Dark Side Detectives that we never thought about it as a company, we started as a game. So we set up a lot of our online presence as the Dark Side Detective. Then we eventually set up a spooky doorway presence, which is like two-fifths the size of our Dark Side Detective. So it's, we kind of have to filter our content from spooky doorway through the Dark Side presence or my own presence on Twitter as well. But yeah, you, you do need to get your footprints for all your different IPs online, but try to filter them back to either a main source or the, the number one thing you're trying to filter people through to is the Steam page, which is where they will wishlist it. We have a funny presence on our Dark Side Detective stuff. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit more, it's still kind of funny, but a lot more straight on our um, on our Spooky Doorway stuff. And so people follow our accounts and enjoy it. So we do have a very engaged audience on that. So it's, there is a value to it. Just in the long run, it's, it just it means more work. And if you had to do that again, would you go for the kind of monolithic single corporate presence that has all these titles underneath? Or do you think it's still valid to have titles with their own dedicated sites? I think the monolithic one is probably the way to go, but you may you may start off as one and then rebrand. Um, you don't want to get into a situation which we're kind of half in at the moment, which is we are having to start again to build our audience. Because we built a Dark Side Detective audience, not necessarily a Spooky Doorway audience. So we're starting again, basically in our Spooky Doorway sites to try and get to capture the audience or a fresh audience about our new titles or generally what we're working on. So do, best to do it once rather than twice. But uh, There's no harm though having the smaller accounts that tweet out or post out about that game but really you should ideally be trying to get people back to the, the main source well there is a lot we can learn from your experience and success in growing a community around the dark side detective and in building this spooky doorway brand and not to forget the future with the growing buzz surrounding your new game eldritch house so thank you paul for taking the time to talk with us today and for sharing your knowledge and insights into the business of games and game design Our thanks to the game design class in UCD for providing the setting for this interview. And thanks to Ruth Campion for sound editing and to Joy for interviewing. The music used for the intro-outro was Tempting Fate by Jason Shaw. For more details, see the show notes and acknowledgements.